the first act takes place in Galilee. The second act takes place on the road to Jerusalem. And then the third act takes place in Jerusalem. And it's in three different stages. Like uh, Mark, he was, uh, he was a big, big deal in the early church. Him and Paul worked together side by side. And then him and, him and uh, Peter were homies. Uh, but they didn't talk like that back then. They were friends. And so, matter of fact, the book of Mark, it was dictated to Mark by Peter. It's through the memories of, of Peter. And the way that Mark wrote it is he would just record the events of what happened with Jesus and the reactions of the people around. And he didn't interject any of his own opinions about Jesus. He just presented it and allowed people to come up with their own conclusions about Jesus. And so in the first stage, it's all about what Jesus did, what he taught, and the response to everybody around him. And the awe that he inspired. And then the second stage on the way to Galilee, it's really about the disciples just grappling with the idea of Jesus actually being the Messiah. And in the third stage where we're at, it's all about Jesus being recognized as the King, as the Christ. And so that's where we're at. We're at where Jesus has been teaching his disciples about who he is, about what he's meant to do, and about his eventual return. And so the stage is set. We're about Passover time. And this is a big deal in that culture at that time. You've got to remember what Passover is. Do you guys remember what Passover is? Okay, I'll give a little brief overview, right? Okay. Yeah, I heard someone, what is Passover? All right, so Passover is in remembrance of when God rescued the Jewish nation from being slaves in Egypt. Whenever God raised up a deliverer, uh, Moses, right, to lead the people out of captivity into the promised land. So, and then God gave them traditions. Every year I want you to do this, this supper in remembrance of me. Everything was put together to kind of point towards the coming Messiah. So there was already an expectation about the Messiah during that time of Passover. And like I was saying in the book of Mark, it really leads up to this climactic time. Everybody rumbling about Jesus. Everybody rumbling about the Messiah. And so whenever he was coming to Jerusalem, there had already been expectations during that time to receive Messiah. And so here we come. Who, who did everybody have their eyes glued upon? Jesus. And, and by the way, too, the Romans understood, too, that tradition has it whenever Messiah comes, there's probably going to be some sort of revolt. So the Romans were ready, you know. And so that's, that's kind of the stage that we're sat with. So we're going to read the first two verses of Mark chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, open up. We're going to read the first two verses. And while you guys are opening up, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that you've made a way for us. And despite everything that we get wrong, Lord, you've never got anything wrong. Thank you that even though we're reading about things that happened so long ago, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We could depend upon you, Lord. We pray that your word would purge, cleanse us, and change us, Lord, so that we can better reflect you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to discuss two things throughout this study. The first thing I want to discuss is how things, looks can be deceiving. And also the next thing that I want us to really focus on is 
is how we got to kill that me first attitude in all of us. Because we're going to see how a couple of different people, different types of people that held on to that me first attitude really did some evil things, very wicked things, and was able to justify it because of that attitude. So the first two verses, it says, the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. So they understood about the buzz that was going on about Jesus. They understood about the anticipation, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. They understood, and they didn't want to potentially, you know, set a spark that would ignite, you know, this... uh, the stuff that was going on, so they, they didn't want to cause a stir. They didn't want to kill Jesus at that time, but they ended up doing anyways, right? Probably because they really understood the following. They really started seeing the impact that he was having, and they said, okay, we got to deal with this now. So these very religious people, they wanted to kill Jesus. Why did they want to kill Jesus? They wanted to kill Jesus because they heard about the rumblings, and they understood that they would lose significance, their roles, their roles would drastically change if this is Messiah. If Jesus was accepted as Messiah. Now, here's the thing. You see, if they didn't believe Jesus to be Messiah, why would they need a fool with them? It would eventually run its course and the fat of Jesus would die out. There'd be, see, I, I think that they feared that he was the Messiah. They feared that he was, the, he was the one, and they didn't want their lives interfered with. And I think it's the same reason why a lot of people don't want don't to follow God. They don't want to seek God. They don't want to hear about Jesus. Because if he, if he is real, then that means their life has to change. That means there's somebody to be held accountable to. And people don't want that. So they wanted to go ahead and kill Jesus. So the whole, their whole existence should have been to point people towards Messiah. To, to warn them, to prepare the way for Messiah. But instead of that, they wanted to go ahead and get rid of Messiah. So the people that pretended to be religious, they had no problem with murder. Okay, They had no problem with murder to accomplish the goals that they wanted. But it, it had to look good though, right? It, it had to be... You know, th- there's, a, there's a way of today, right? We have the, the politicians of today. And they, well, they'll spit a good game, right? Just like them, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, it's like, I have to make what I'm saying. I'm going to hide behind my religion in order to accomplish what it is that I want to achieve. So you got the, these politicians today. Oh, they're, they're Christians. They're, they're, they're progressive. They're good. But yet, they'll pass these bills that are ungodly. They'll smile on your face and tell you abortion's good. So they'll hide behind their religion to accomplish their wicked deeds. So not only was their religion insincere, it was a tool of the enemy. You understand what I'm saying? Not a whole lot's changed from then to now. Just a lot of these, these Sadducees, they don't wear robes, they wear suit and ties now, you know? So these people, they had the appearance of being holy, but they were wicked. Now we're going to pick up in verse 3 about a lady 
She didn't have the appearance of being holy. She had the appearance of being foolish. But she ended up having a, a repented heart. It says, while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclined at the table, there was a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nod and poured it over the head, over his head. So in John's recollection of the story, the, the lady here in the story is Mary, the, the brother of Lazarus. You guys remember Lazarus, the guy who, who had died and, and Jesus didn't hurry up to get there. He waited for him to be dead for a few days. Then he came out in front of everybody and he called him out of the tomb. Yeah, that was, that was her. That was his sister that poured that alabaster jar of ointment over the head of Jesus. See, she, she understood who Jesus was. She heard what Jesus was saying. She believed what Jesus was saying. She came here not to ask for anything. She came here to do something in honor of Jesus. A great thing. And we'll, we'll find out how much this thing cost. It was 300 denarii. So what is a denarii is a, is a day's wage. So you, they work six days a, a year. So you got to think about it. That's like a year's wage of what she had. She came to honor Jesus with that thing. Now let's think about this for a minute. It's not like today, right? Where it's like uh, after a hard day work, especially about being in the desert, you get sweaty, you get grimy, you get dirty. Then you go home. You got an AC where you stop sweating. You got running water where you go and you clean yourself off. You dry yourself off. You go back into your AC where you don't sweat no more for the rest of the day. Back then, it wasn't like that. It was hot when they were outside. It was hot when they were inside. They were sweating all day. Baths weren't common. You didn't take them very often unless you were rich where you didn't have to work hard and you had access to water on a regular basis. You walked around funky, right? So you got to think about perfume. Perfume was a commodity. It was something that was, was sought after. And I've heard Pastor Mick talk about it, you know, previously. It was like if you had a, a, a guest come to your house, one of the things that you would do is you would pour a good smelling oil over somebody's head. You would dab them with some oil. And we look at it, that's weird, right? That'd be like icky. But you're going in from a place where you're sweaty and you're hot, right? That'd be feeling refreshing. But she went a step further. She didn't go ahead and dab them with some good smelling oil. She had this costly, this costly jar, probably around 16 ounces of this stuff. And she didn't just open up the lid. She cracked it open, the jar. She didn't spare any. She dumped the whole thing over his head. Now, this is in, in, in the presence of people, right? This is an aunt. And what did they do? They stood up and they clapped their hands. And they're like, you did a great thing. Good job. Wait, now that's not what they did, huh? What did they do? Let's read. So in verse 4, 4 through 5, it says, But some were indignant. We'll, we'll talk about what that word means. To one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. So I want to take notice. It says they were indignant. So what does that? It means like real mad, but not just real mad. When you're indignant, it's because you feel like you've been treated unfairly. An injustice has happened. You feel like you have been wronged. So it says there's a there's a group of people. And in in the uh, the book of John, 
chapter 12, it talks about how Judas was the one leading this whole attitude of indignation. Judas was the one. And then it goes on to say, too, that Judas wanted that stuff to be sold because he was in charge of the treasury and he could have went ahead and pocketed some of that profit. Right? So they were indignant. Judas is another religious guy, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He had the appearance of being really righteous because he was put in charge of the money. You ain't going to put the guy that looks like he's a little sneaking in charge of his money. He, he, had, he had the appearance of being holy and righteous, but, it was, but he hid behind his religion to conceal the truth. So the scary thing is what that truth actually is. So he was indignant. He felt like he was done wrong somehow. So whenever you hear the whole, we could have sold this and got 300 denarii from and done, but what he's essentially saying is, I know better than you, Jesus. I can handle the situation better than you can, Jesus. You've probably, that's, that's scary. You've probably heard, you might even said statements like, if God is good, then why? Blah, 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 blah. Why would God allow you fill in the blank, right? And that's essentially the same type of attitude. Like, hey, I know better than you. I would have done this. That's, and whenever I'm indignant, I feel justified. I feel like I'm right, and because I feel right, I feel justified. We have to be careful. We have to be very, very careful. Because regardless of how we look, our lives look on the outside, how put together our lives seem to be, how in order things seem to be going, something could be going on the inside that could be damnable. And we have to be very, very careful of hardening our heart towards God. Let that sink in, right? So let's get back to what Jesus wanted to go ahead and teach through this situation. The Lord's about to give everybody a reality check. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has done. We're going to take a, a minute right here. She has done what she could. We'll get back to, to, to the good deed that she had done, but I want to I digest this for a minute. We can make excuses sometimes, right? If I had more, I'd give more. If I had this job, I'd get, if I had more time, I'd, we put parameters of what we don't have and, and, and make excuses for what we don't do, Right? But what do you, do you have anything? Do you have something? I'm I'm being facetious. That's a rhetorical question. I know you have something because God isn't going to give you nothing. He's giving you something, right? And see, that's what that's what Jesus wants from us. He doesn't want what we don't have. He wants what we have. He just wants he wants what's here. And you see, um, I think the fact that Mark doesn't tell us what her name is speaks so much speaks volumes. Because essentially what he's saying is it doesn't matter who she is. It matters what she did. It, it matters the example that she has set. That's all that matters. What did she do? Nobody told her what to do to honor God. Nobody said, hey, you got this. Go ahead and, and do this. No, no, no. She said, okay, I have something that is of great value 
They can glorify God. They could exalt Jesus. They could, they could prepare Him for the work that He's about. We're about to get into what she actually did. Um, but nobody told her what to do. She had some great insight as to what Jesus was meant to do. And, and let, let's get back to the story. It says she anointed. This is what Jesus is saying. All these people that are grumbling and complaining. We could have done blah, blah, blah. He was like, hey, check this out. She did what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. This is prophetic. And it proves true to this day. Think about it. This is a little... You look at the map of the world, there's a little blip, right? There's a little dot in this little city, in this small little country. There's a smaller even group of people that were there for this situation. But yet we're here today, half a world away, talking about the things that she did. And what did she do? What did she do? She prepared his body for burial. You would think that after Jesus said something like that, like the ears of the people would like perk up. What did he just say? He, did, I, did I catch that? But their response shows us that they didn't catch it. Have, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you've told them something and, and it's like, or maybe you've been talking with somebody or somebody's been talking to you and they tell you something and you'll be like, oh, I had no idea you said that. Like, yeah, dude, I was talking to you for like 10 minutes. Why do we not hear that? Because we ain't listening. Wait, listen, we either have, as somebody's talking to us, we either got the response of what we're going to say to them before they even finish going on in our minds, or we just got something else going on in this little coconut, right? Got something going. So she understood something that nobody else understood. Why? Because she was listening to what Jesus was saying. She was paying attention. Jesus has been saying the whole time, hey, we're about to go over here. I'm about to be betrayed. I'm about to be handed over. I'm about to be scourged, mocked. I'm about to be crucified. She was listening. Everybody else had their own expectations of what they should expect whenever they get there. Oh, this is, this is when this guy that we're following is going to go ahead and get his crown. They didn't understand it was a crown of thorns. She did. She did because she was listening. Now, we're going we're gonna to read these next two verses and we're going we're gonna to discuss something, a final thought. And I really want this to kind of just sink into our hearts. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him, to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and they promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. See, in Matthew 26, concerning this incident, Judas asked them for money. Right? So we see what his whole, what he was led by. He wanted, he wanted what he wanted. He was greedy. And he probably thought that he was doing okay by doing it. Remember, he was indignant. See, right after this whole incident happened, well, he was really indignant. We could have done this, this, and this. He takes off. And then he goes ahead and he just asks for him. So what does this tell us? This says that I thought Jesus was going to do this. 
And he didn't do what I thought he was going to do. Therefore, I'm done with him. Therefore, whenever I go ahead and I turn my back on him, whenever I go ahead and I betray him, he's just getting what's coming to him. And I got what's coming to me. You see, if I don't look out for myself, who's going to look out for me? See, that's the mindset of this world, isn't it? Hey, I got to take care of me. Yeah, no, you know, being a, a righteous, holy person is a good thing, but that don't pay the bills. You understand what I'm saying? This is the voice of the world, me first. This is an acceptable mindset. So you guys remember in Luke 22, the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples? Uh, they were arguing. They were like, hey, who's better? Who's the best one out of us? Who's the greatest one? You remember what Jesus told them? Jesus told him, he says, the greatest among you must become like the youngest. He says, and the leader is to be like the servant. That's the exact opposite of what our world says, isn't it? See, the Pharisees believed that in order to preserve what they had, they'll do anything to keep it. Whatever is necessary, right? And Judas thought to get whatever is owed to him, he'll stop at nothing to, to get it for himself. This, and this is the key, right? Because a person who feels like they're owed something will stop at nothing to get what they want. A person who, who wants or values esteem or something like that, they're controlled by something that's not God. It's not God. What does a servant own? Because Jesus said a leader will be like a servant. What does a servant own? A servant owns nothing. Only what the master gives them, right? That's it. So the danger of holding on tightly to anything, whatever it might be, if you're holding on tightly to something, you've got to pray that God is going to go ahead and give you the heart to lose that grip of that thing. Because whatever you can't lose, you feel like if it ain't God, that thing's controlling you. That relationship, that position, you name it, that's the thing that's controlling you. So this is for us believers I know, I know somebody needs to hear this today, right? But if, uh, if, if we hold on to something that, that we feel like is, is ours, it's easy for us to go ahead and get indignant whenever that thing is taken from us. We can't allow our hearts to be hardened that way. See, if we're a believer, know this, that the only thing in this world that you cannot lose is the only thing in this world that you need, right? That's the only thing, everything else you can lose. You can lose your job. You can lose your, your car. You can use your house. You can use your, lose your spouse. You can, lose, you, feel, you can lose everything, but the only thing that you can't lose is the only thing that you need as a believer. You're standing with God because of what Jesus did for you on your behalf. That's the only thing that you can't lose. And we have to get our hearts in that right posture, in that right understanding, because we, Satan was once an angel, right? Judas was once a disciple, the Pharisees and scribes were once people that pointed people to Messiah. But all of that changed because they forgot their purpose. They forgot their identity. See, my purpose here today is to point you to the only one that could forgive you of your sins. The only one that could rescue you from the flames of hell. That's it. That's my purpose, right? And if you haven't received Jesus Christ, and I can't assume because... I'll, Scripture tells us, man, on the last days, there are going to be a lot of people that think that they're his. And what is Jesus going to tell to them, say to them? 
Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, I don't know you. So that tells me that there's a lot of people that they come to church on Sunday. Probably not this one. But churches throughout the world, right? That, that think that they know him. And he's going to say, I don't know who you are. So I already know my purpose is to tell people, hey, man, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need one. And the purpose of it here is to respond. And that's it. You see, because what Jesus came to do, whenever he entered into Jerusalem, that's what people should have been quiet and paying attention to. Jesus came to die. Jesus came to be brutally killed on behalf of you. Because that's what you deserved. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. It says, he who knew no sin became sin. He had no sin. He never knew sin. He never did sin. He was perfect in every way. That standard that God made for man to keep, he kept it perfectly. He never faltered on one area ever. He kept it perfectly. And he came to pay the penalty of all of us that broke that standard. Because there's, there's, a, there's a do. Just like whenever you're, you're out eating, oh, you eat that meal and it's real good. You better hope you didn't order too much because you've got to pay that tab. We couldn't pay that tab at the end. Whenever we come face to face with God, man, we don't have the resources to, to meet the standard to pay the price. We don't have what it takes. Jesus does. And so he says, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pay the price for you. That's what he went to Jerusalem to do. He came to stand in front of me and say, hey, I know he had this coming to him. But I'm going to take it for him. That's what he did to everybody. We're sinners. All of us are sinners, man. And we're all in good company, right? We're a room full of sinners. There's two types of people in this world. There's a type of person that is going to trust in their own goodness to go ahead and for whenever that due, whenever that payment is due, to go ahead and trust in their own good works to pay that. And they're going to be real disappointed in this other person that's going to trust in Jesus. That's it. See, Jesus has paid the price for you. Do you want to receive it or not? The only thing that is required from you to receive it is for you just to say yes. Say yes and live for him. Now that's the part, right? Because a lot of us would be like, yeah, yeah, I got a relationship with Jesus and nothing changes. If you don't change, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If you, if you haven't come face to face, if you came face to face with the living God and you haven't been changed, you haven't come face to face with the living God. So, so if you want to receive salvation, it is yours to receive today. So if there's anybody that wants to give their life to Jesus, I want to invite you to go ahead and pray a prayer with me. And, and you know what? Don't trust in any prayer. Okay? If you've ever said a prayer, don't trust in that prayer. Tr trust. The only thing that you can trust in is what Jesus Christ has done for you on your behalf. And if you don't know, if you don't know that you're saved, hey, man, don't go to sleep. Don't blink until you know that you are saved, that you are forgiven. That's the biggest thing. If you, don't, if you don't know that, guys, no prayer is going to help you. But if you really want Jesus to go ahead and enter into your heart and for him to become the Lord of your life, then I want to lead you in a prayer. 
If you've done that, praise the Lord. Maybe afterward, uh, I want to go ahead and pray for everybody else. You know, for us, because just because we're believers doesn't mean we're perfect, right? If you're sitting next to somebody, you already know that to be true, right? You know, um, we're not perfect, and we can fall into the whole "me first" attitude. And so, I want to pray for for everybody else that you know we wouldn't be caught in that that type of mindset. So, if there's anybody in here that wants to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, go ahead and raise your hand. I see you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. So let's all close our eyes. Let's bow our hearts. And you could just repeat after me. You could say it out loud or you could say it in your own heart. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I have wronged you. I have broken your rules. I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. I don't want to live this way anymore. I invite you into my heart. I ask for you to forgive me for my sins. I choose to live for you today and for the rest of my life. Please show me how to live. In Jesus' name, amen.